good? What's good? Seawood back at you again with another hard-hitting, jam-packed edition of Ball About the South with Seawood. Ball About the South, it is that sports podcast where we talk real sports and we do it with real southern flavor. My name is Kerry Wood, but just call me Seawood for short. At Seawood on sports on Twitter and IG, that's where you can find me. And I just really want to welcome you in to this newest episode of my podcast. Um, Again, it is the 23rd episode. Man, moving right along at a just, (laughs) I mean, just just, just ridiculous speed, man. I mean, we're already in the middle of March. it's just crazy, man. And we just started this podcast just last September. And, you know, there are a couple of weeks that I uh, did not do a show mixed in there. And I'm on episode 23, which is just crazy. Just crazy. But anyway, man, time is flying and uh, we have to take advantage of it as much as we possibly can. Or we're just going to be left in the cold, man. That is complete facts right there. But anyway, as you can see, like I said, my uh, this is episode 23. And as you can see, it is labeled The Madness Begins. And obviously, with it being March, you know that I'm talking about March Madness. The NCAA tournament is upon us. You know, I am recording on Wednesday. And uh, we're right now in the middle of the first four. We're going to talk about that um just for a couple minutes here in just a minute. But uh, that means we're really (laughs) less than 24 hours away from the madness really beginning. But then again, is that the only madness going on? Actually, it's not. Okay. (laughs) I mean, right now, man, we have uh, the NFL is in the middle of a little bit of madness of its own. And that is called, well, that madness it's called NFL free agency. And there's a lot of moves going on back and forth. We've had some big time trades, some crazy trades um, that have taken place. And uh, man, we've had some, uh, some big time players be, you know, given their walking papers and being, being released and all of that. So we're going to, kind of touch on some of that while this show is definitely going to be um, a show that's going to really highlight and focus on the tournament, the NCAA tournament that is. And we'll also look back at what we saw this past weekend and uh, tournaments like the SEC, of course. Obviously, we're going to look back at that. Uh, the SEC tournament was painted orange this year with the Tennessee Volunteers doing their thing and coming away with the uh, SEC Tournament Championship, and that's pretty much what I expected to happen. I thought that they would uh, beat Kentucky in the semifinal, and then it would be uh, them versus, I thought maybe Arkansas. was not surprised that it was Texas A&M, but, uh, yeah, I'm not surprised at all that the Tennessee Volunteers ended up being the team to cut down the nets there in Tampa, Florida. We'll talk about uh, talk a lot more about that, uh, tournament and the tournament upcoming and with the six teams that are headed there to the dance. We'll talk about all of that in my Around the SEC segment. That will be the next segment uh, coming up after my first break. Um, 
Also, we'll talk from Conference USA, the UAB Blazers, the team right here in my neck of the woods, Birmingham, Alabama. They are headed to the dance as well. And there's also <laughs> um, another team here from the state of Alabama. Y'all, you have both teams from the SEC, Alabama and Auburn, joining the dance. You have UAB joining the dance, which, um, again, you know, this is the 16th appearance by the UAB Blazers, and this has only been a program since 1979. I just want to kind of point that out, okay, which I think is extremely impressive. But uh, the fourth team, there's a fourth team from the state of Alabama, which this is supposed to be a football state, right? I mean, this is supposed to be the king state of football. It's supposed to be the football capital of the South. And right now, the basketball, the hardwood is kind of really shining. They polished it up really good, and the hardwood is shining here in the state of Alabama. It's the Jacksonville State um, Gamecocks. They joined the party as well. They will go dancing. They will go dancing against the Auburn Tigers, which that was a little bit... <laughs> That's a little bit crazy to think about. A little bit, you know, to have them matched up against another team from the state was kind of odd, obviously. But they're in it, and so we're going to talk a lot about all four of those teams. And obviously, again, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the other teams down in our neck of the woods. The Memphis Tigers, another team. They did not uh, win the uh, American Conference Tournament. Uh, they end up going down to the Houston Cougars. Houston finally got the Memphis Tigers. Uh, the Memphis had their number in the first two games this season, but Houston finally figured that puzzle out, and they are the AAC champion. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well, and just a lot, you know, and the tournament in general, man. With you know, I'll kind of give you my final four picks. To be honest with you, I am a late. I am a dude that just kind of. I don't just sit there and on Sunday night and do my bracket or whatever. I kind of just, I don't know. <laughs> it's not that I'm sitting here studying my bracket or, uh, you know, examining every game, every team, every player or whatever. I just kind of, no, I, I, I just kind of take bits and pieces of my bracket here and there and I'll do a little bit one day. I'll do a little bit, a little bit more Tuesday, and you know I've, I'm kind of getting close to being finished, so I'm gonna uh, finish it up, and I'm gonna give you my final four picks, and I'll give you a few of my teams that I think could make some noise that aren't expected to. You know, maybe a couple Cinderellas, or at least a couple possible Cinderellas that could pop out of this NCAA tournament coming up this season. So, you know, again, so let me go back to the title of this episode the madness begins but like i said we're not just talking about march madness and i told you like i said we're gonna do some nfl talk obviously with nfl free agency really coming to uh really being really huge right now we also have to talk some major league baseball free agency the hot stove league the hot stove league is usually you know that's that's what they label mlb free agency for the you know, and uh, usually the hot stove league kind of league kind of begins somewhere around December, you know, somewhere in you know, early middle December, and it kind of lasts, or at least it can last through February, or at least until uh, until February, or, you know, or right 
sometimes it can last into the uh, spring training as far as like moves being made. But the uh, the hot stove league is what they call it, and usually is over around February. Well, with everything going on in Major League Baseball, with no CBA and all of that, uh, owners locking the players out. Obviously, there was no free agency. So now with the players, and they are able to go back. They have been, uh, the uh, CBA has been signed. We're going to have baseball on April 7th. We're going to have some spring training here very soon. MLB free agency is able to begin, and boy, has it begun with a bang. There's a lot of movement going on, So, and there's a lot of movement going on with the Atlanta Braves. And we're going to look at some of that, man. You know, uh, again, one of the moves that's not taking place yet, and a lot of Braves fans are hoping this move doesn't take place, and that would be Freddie Freeman. So far, he seems to be uh, still in Atlanta break. And there are a lot of teams that are vying for his services. But so far, he's, he's sitting tight. And that's despite the Braves making this huge deal with the Oakland A's where they uh, obtained Matt Olson. Now, Matt Olson is a guy that plays first base. He was an all-star last season. He has a big bat. I mean, he can hit the ball out of the ballpark with the best of them. Um, he is headed to Atlanta. And he was involved in this blockbuster trade. And when it went down, I think that trade went down Monday, I'm going to say. And... Uh, when it went down, we said, okay, well, I guess that means Freddie Freeman is headed out because this dude's the first baseman. I mean, that's what he that's what he has played the last several years. I mean, you just kind of just thought, well, look, you know, and now, the, you know, you sit there and you look at some of the details of his deal are coming out, and I'm seeing eight years, 160-something million dollars. So he's talking about a guy that's making 20-something million dollars a year. How are you going to keep Freddie Freeman, you know, you know in the mix as well. Uh, of course, now Major League Baseball is going to Universal DH, so that means the National League will join the American League after all these years, after all these decades, and finally uh, adopt the the designated hitter into the National League, which, you know, there's a lot of mixed reviews on that. I think it's really the right thing to do because I think it just should be universal all the way around. Although I can I cannot lie to you when you know when the especially before we had interleague play it was kind of intriguing seeing a team the team strategy especially a team like in coming from the American League um you know what do you do with your first baseman I mean I I've seen that scenario with guys like maybe Big Poppy or whatever with the Boston Red Sox who plays first base or he DH'd or whatever. And then you're like, okay, do you sit him or do you play him in the National League ballpark? Because obviously your pitcher has to hit. So, I could, that you know, it kind of takes that intrigue away and that kind of strategy away. But, uh, you know, overall, I think it's the right move to make it a universal DH game. So that is what's happening. So you wonder – with Freddie Freeman still being in that Atlanta Brave, could it be possible that Matt Olson maybe is the DH or Freddie Freeman is the DH? And then you play the other guy, whoever, whichever one, and you play the other guy first? Or, or is it possible that Matt Olson, 
could move to the outfield. Now, Matt Olson began his career in Oakland a few years ago as an outfielder. He, he played right field for the, for the athletics. So I'm not really sure exactly how it's going to play out. Now, another big fish in uh, with the Atlanta Braves is Eddie Rosario, the outfielder that came in and worked his magic. He came in from Minnesota last year, uh, kind of in the middle of the season. He was huge for the Atlanta Braves and their role uh, and their run to win the World Series because, look, I mean, he was one of the – he and Jock Peterson were huge replacements for a guy like uh, Ronald Acuna who went down with the ACL injury and everything uh, there at midseason. They don't win the, the World Series. I mean, I don't know if they make the playoffs <laughs> without guys like Eddie Rosario. So now news is hit today that he is re-signed with the Braves. So now, you know, now you really kind of get into a lot of questions as to what is going to happen with Freddie Freeman in Atlanta. Is he going to stay? Is he going to go? Not really sure yet. So we have to stay tuned for that one. Again, that's just a couple of the moves, and that's just the Atlanta Braves. <laughs> okay, we got a lot of moves going on. Around the around Major League Baseball, and you know, again, like like I said, the madness begins. And like I say, it's not just on the hardwood; it's on the football field, and now it's even on the diamond. Is we're you know what three weeks away, two weeks away from the start of the Major League Baseball season. Incredible stuff going on <laughs> in, the, in the sports world. It is a fantastic time. To be a sports fan, of course, with all of that going on, you sit there and you look up and the NBA is going on and we're getting close to playoff time. We're getting close to playoff time and you look up and some of the big stars are starting to really do their thing. LeBron has scored 50 in two separate games. And then last night, Kyrie Irving puts down 60. He had 41 points at the half. He could have probably had 80 I mean, I, I don't know if he could have had 80, but, you know, I thought that – I really thought he was going to go for 70 last night. Uh, it was against Orlando Magic, okay? So you have to throw that caveat in there. I mean, I, I truthfully, I don't think that matters at all. Still an NBA team. Okay, he's still an NBA team that has NBA talent, that, that has a lot of pride, and, and Kyrie put it on them last night. Okay, <laughs> you know, it's just that simple. And Brooklyn won a huge blowout, you know, and I think it was around the nine-minute mark. Steve Nash just kind of called off the dogs and sat Kyrie down after playing 35 minutes. So that kind of gives you a little bit of perspective right there. There was still nine minutes to go in the game, and Kyrie had played 35 minutes. So he was kind of trying to go for it, but then again, you know, it's not like Kyrie's playing – any back-to-backs or anything, unless they're playing back-to-back games on the road or whatever. I mean, you know, it's just, you know, it's just, it is what it is right now with Kyrie playing on the, uh, being able to play on the road and not being able to play at home. The funny thing, and really, and again, it's not really funny. I think it's really stupid. He's able to attend the games in Brooklyn. He's able to attend the home games and sit courtside without a mask on. But he can't play. I mean, <laughs> I mean, this thing has just gotten 
completely out of hand now. I mean, I think the you know, I think eventually the, the city of New York is going to change that mandate, and and it may who knows it may come quick enough or soon enough where he'll be able to play in the playoffs, which would be obviously huge for the Brooklyn Nets. But just sit there and think about this whole thing, man. This is. I don't know. I mean, first you're going to tell me that Kyrie couldn't play. And then, you know, let's just say, again, I don't mean to single out Bradley Beal, but just I just know Bradley Beal at one time. Not really sure if he's still unvaccinated or not, but at one time Bradley Beal was unvaccinated. And if the Washington Wizards, you know, were coming into town to New York, he could play. I mean, this, this whole thing just made zero sense. It made no sense at all. So now you, you, you're allowing Kyrie to sit courtside, and then now, now the Nets get fined because he ends up going back to the locker room. I'm not really sure why he did that, but then again, he was there. <laughs> so why not go back there with your team? I don't know, man. Again, I've, I've said it on this show a couple of different times. I, I think Kyrie should be vaccinated. A lot of people throw it out there that this is this is a guy that's young and he's healthy and all of that, and that's why he doesn't need to get vaccinated. Well, I mean, I think you can make the same argument that that's why he probably should get vaccinated because more than likely he's going to be just fine if he takes the vaccine, <laughs> you know. And I I just I just don't understand this thing from his point of view on that part. But at the same time, this thing with the city of New York is just beyond ridiculous, man. I just I just don't get it. And, you know, I understand everything that the NBA is doing. They're going on and saying, look, we're going to go. We're going to abide by whatever the city mandate is. I think that's the right move. This thing is just crazy, man. It just really is. So uh, but Kyrie is in. He is in big. He is right now. He's rolling. And, you know, we'll have to see just how dangerous the Brooklyn Nets are if he's able to, you know, get that mandate off in New York and is able to play at home. Because, you know, look, they're not going that far if he can only play road games. Let's, let's just be real with you. Okay? They're not. I don't know if this team is going to beat Milwaukee or Miami with him playing seven games. I mean, they're, they're certainly not going to be beat either one of those teams with him playing three or four. It's just not happening. So anyway, man, we'll see how all that rolls. Again, we got a lot to get to, but uh, again, we're going to take a quick break right now. We're going to come back and do my Around the SEC um, segment. We're going to get into the SEC tournament, kind of recap that. We'll get into a little bit of March Madness coming up. The first round, first and second round matchups, or I guess basically might as well just say the first weekend. How many of our six teams? have a shot to get to the second weekend to play. And then what about Texas A&M? How could they be left out of the madness? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the Tennessee Volunteers being only a three seed. I thought they should have been a two, maybe even a one seed. But they're stuck at number three, which is probably not that big a deal. But it's still kind of a slap in the face, if you ask me. Anyway, we're going to do all of that. When Ball About the South continues. Okay, y'all, we're back. Ball About the South. It is, it is the 23rd episode, and like I said, the madness begins. But before we get into my Around the SEC segment, which is a segment that, that um, features here every week, 
we're going to get into the HBCUs just for a few minutes anyway. And, uh, man, I was uh, really happy to have the opportunity to go to the SWAC tournament that was here in Birmingham at Barcelona Arena there on the UAB campus this past weekend, and I really enjoyed it, man. Uh, thought it was really good action. Did not, in, I mean, I, I still enjoyed myself on championship Saturday, big time. Unfortunately, the championship games were a little bit one-sided. And that wasn't, you know, really was not a surprise to me, especially on the women's side when you look at Jackson State. And I want to congratulate them. And, you know, two sets of Tigers, basically. I want to congratulate the Jackson State Lady Tigers on winning the SWAC tournament and the SWAC regular season, for that matter, on the women's side. They beat Alabama State during the championship game. That was expected. That was very much expected. That was a pretty close game. Um, I think Alabama State had the game somewhere around eight or nine points there, maybe around the seven, eight, nine-minute mark inside the fourth quarter. They might have had it that low. It may actually still may have been double digits, but it was like, you know, just like, like right around 10 or 11 points. So the game was still in doubt. At that point, but Jackson State went on a run. I think they probably went up by as many as 22, 23 points, and they cruised to that victory, and they win the SWAC tournament. And then on the men's side, Texas Southern, the Tigers, again, TSU does it. And I was not surprised by that, despite the fact of um, Alcorn State. And let me say this. <laughs> let me say this first, man. I mean, I... I I definitely found out that it is not Alcorn. Okay, if you're calling them, if you're calling the Braves, Alcorn State, you're dead wrong, and you would have been called out big time by their fan base that was in Birmingham this past weekend. I mean, <laughs> there was a uh, <laughs> an MC or whatever, was a lady. I think it was Tracy Steele. I think she's a DJ. If I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, from Atlanta or whatever. She was kind of like the MC, of course. You know how we do it. HBCUs, we need an MC. We don't. It's not enough for us to have the band and cheerleaders, <laughs> whatever. We got to have an MC to kind of coordinate things, or whatever. Obviously, we had there was a DJ there and everything, but uh, she called them Alcorn, and the in the uh, fan base there with Alcorn State University called her out, and, and I was like, I mean, they you know they didn't get. <laughs> you know, they 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 weren't belligerent or anything like that, but they came down and said, Look, man, we're called Alcorn, it's not Alcorn. And so she corrected herself and the rest of the night <laughs> I don't remember her saying Alcorn ever again, I tell you that. And uh I'm definitely not gonna call them Alcorn ever again either. But so it is Alcorn State. The Alcorn State Braves won the swag regular season. But they fall short to the uh, Tennessee State Tigers, unfortunately for them, ending their season. But fortunately for the Tigers, and now the Tigers here uh, last night have a, a victory in, under their belt for the in, here in the NCAA tournament. They were matched up against Texas A&M Corpus Christi, and they got the job done with a really good surge there late in the second half. And they were able to win, uh, turn what was a really tight game into a victory. 
man, I really enjoyed watching that team play over the weekend. Uh, and and the thing that stood out about stood out to me about Texas Southern was one their depth, and then two um, their the defense around the rim. They just man, they those dudes d you up. And and Texas A&M Corpus Christi found that out last night. Big time, man. Big time win for them. And now Texas Southern, the Tigers coached by Johnny Jones, they get to face the Kansas Jayhawks on Thursday. <sighs> you, know, you know, that's a Midwest region game. And, you know, again, that's it's very doubtful that they're going to be able to prevail in that. But, for them to get to this point, I think is really huge, and I'm really proud of them as an you know uh, being an HBCU that is doing their thing right now. Of course, Jackson State they punched their ticket as well, and uh, you know again they they're a team that just really knows how to score the basketball, man. And they went up and scored over 100 points on Alabama State in that championship game. Uh, Alabama State, which had a really good, you know, really good team them, themselves, they just didn't have enough firepower to hang with Jackson State, man. Those guards that that women's team has was just was something, and they were going, you know, that game was just kind of going back and forth, up and down, and uh, Jackson, you know, Alabama State couldn't play at that pace, so they ended up losing that game 101-80. to Against the Jackson State Tigers and Jackson State, I tell you what, you look at the difference of you know of how Jackson State is kind of looked upon and how Texas Southern is looked upon. The women, Jackson State, they're a 14 seed in the NCAA tournament. It's pretty good from a league that's only getting one bid. Okay, and that's that's pretty good. Because if you look at Texas Southern, they ended up in Dayton there in the first four. So, you know, again, Jackson State, they have a little, you know, a little bit better schedule, I guess, comparatively speaking, to what Texas Southern has. I think probably the women's league, you know, the SWAC women are, look, you know, probably respected a little bit more. So they get a little bit higher seed. They're not in the, you know, playing round or anything like that. They're matched up as the 14th seed against the number three seed LSU. Now, and that game goes down on Saturday, March 19th, the first round of the NCAA Women's Tournament. So, obviously, and of course, you know, in the Women's Tournament, the Women's Game, those games, when you're talking about the top four seeds of the Women's Tournament, those top four seeds get to play those games at home. So they're going to be at LSU. That's going to be obviously extremely tough for them to pull that out. But still, I mean, I thought it's been a really good uh, season by Jackson State, man. They did not lose a game in conference play. They went through the season undefeated. And, of course, they won their three games there in the tournament in Birmingham. So just a fantastic season. Again, like I said, I want to congratulate those ladies on a job well done. And again, we look at Texas Southern, man. Again, really job well done by them. And I just really believe that, uh, you know, they are they definitely deserve to be maybe looked at as not being a team in the, in the uh, first four. And you sit there and you look at it, man. More times than not, and I mean many more times than not, 
the winner of the SWAC is sent to Dayton. And now, you know, that's that stat is out there now that Texas Southern, this is the fourth time they've been in Dayton and they've won three of those games. I think it's time that, you know, what you know, I think it's time that Texas Southern and they were there just last season, as a matter of fact. Johnny Jones is doing a really good job and he's uh he has taken that program over from the great job that Mike Davis did for several years. So Texas Southern is really, really doing their thing. This is a good program, man. This this is a good program, and I don't doubt. It, it would not shock me if we're sitting there at halftime on Thursday in this game, Texas Southern and Kansas. It would not shock me if at halftime Texas Southern's a couple only down two or three points or they're leading or something like that. It would not shock me. I, I like the athleticism on this team. Again, I like the the interior presence. They are deep. And I think, you know, hey, you catch a Kansas team kind of sleeping, you know, kind of sleepwalking, you never know what might happen there for a little while. Again, Kansas is going to win the game, not saying anything like that. But I think they'll show well. I really do. So, man, you know, so, yeah, just really proud of both those teams, but, I think the NCAA, the selection committee, whoever, and obviously the you know the selection committee kind of changes year in year out. They need to kind of look at that, or someone you know we need to start speaking up for our, our HBCUs. It seems to me the MEAC schools, especially when you looked at teams like Hampton, who had success in the NCAA tournament, they were looked at a little bit better maybe, and uh, I think there were a couple times where they actually were. Uh, placed all the way into the field. They didn't have to go to uh, go to Dayton or whatever. That's something that needs to be looked at, though. This Texas Southern team, this is the third time in four trips that they have won their first game there in the first four. And it's time that, you know what, maybe they don't need to be in the first four next time they get in the tournament. That's just my thoughts on that. Anyway, so really good stuff by our HBCUs. And now, man, we're going to get into... My Around the SEC segment, and uh, again, a lot going on here. Um, obviously, right now, when you talk about it being March, man, especially when you were talking about just a few, a few seasons ago when the SEC was only getting maybe three teams into the tournament, and those teams would probably last about as long as a snowball would in, a, in an oven. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we would be talking football pretty strong here, unless you, you know, we were talking about Kentucky or whatever. But uh, uh, spring practices started big time around the SEC. Obviously, Alabama started uh, this past Friday, and um, I'm hearing good things about a couple of the uh, uh, the, the transfer portal guys, Jameer. Gibbs, I mean, you're hearing a lot of good things about him. He is a running back from Georgia Tech. Looking forward to seeing him in a uh, Crimson Tide uniform next season. But obviously, we're looking forward to just seeing him in the spring game. I'm looking forward to that. A couple of the other uh, guys that they got out of the transfer portal, I'm told, look really good as well. They've got some early en- enrollees as-, as well that are doing their thing. So, uh, according to Nick Saban, things are going pretty well from what I've heard so far in the first few days of spring practice. Um, obviously, there are a lot of questions around the SEC. Obviously, huge questions there at Auburn. Who's going to be the quarterback and all of that good stuff? Same deal at places like uh, 
uh, LSU. Now with Johnson, the guy that started last year, he's now at Texas A&M, which is very interesting in itself. <laughs> I mean, that is extremely interesting that Max Johnson has moved on to Texas A&M. We'll see if, if he gets that starting job there in Aggieland. And again, who's going to be the starter there in Baton Rouge? Who's going to be the starter in Oxford, Mississippi at Ole Miss? Uh, very interesting stuff, man. And, and I tell you, it makes you think, especially in a place of Alabama, especially in a place of, you know, if you're Georgia, you know pretty much who your starting quarterback is going to be. Well, at least, well, we assume we know who the quarterback is going to be in Georgia. <laughs> okay. We, we assume. I'm not really saying, you know, I can't say 100%. But, uh, you know, you ha- you have to really feel good about your uh, position. And this is the first time in quite a while that Alabama has had returning quarterbacks. Um, or, or, well, an experienced quarterback return for the next season. That just doesn't happen at the University of Alabama very often. So, you know, we'll get into a little bit more football as we go forward and get closer to some of the spring games and all of that. Just wanted to kind of touch base with you guys on, yeah, while the hardwood is hot right now, so is the gridiron. Anyway, man, let's get into these hoops. Uh, Let's go back to what we saw in Tampa, Florida over the last weekend there at the SEC tournament. Again, Tennessee comes out on top. First of all, and actually before I get into Tennessee, I want to talk about the Kentucky Wildcats. Women, they go out and just go crazy in the fourth quarter of their game, the title game against South Carolina last weekend. Not this past weekend, but last weekend. South Carolina, the number one ranked team in the country up pretty much all season long. Head coach Don Staley doing their thing. They're up 14 with about uh, seven minutes, I guess, somewhere in that range to go in the game. And Kentucky just goes on a run, and and they don't stop until they get that three at the top of the key at the buzzer to uh, win the SEC championship, put themselves into the NCAA tournament. So I just want to say, you know, uh, I just wanted to uh, give them – my congratulations as well on job well done. That was a fantastic game, fantastic comeback by the Wildcats. No one could see that happening at that point as they got down pretty good to the number one ranked team in the country and they found a way to get it done in dramatic fashion. Didn't hurt to, uh, South Carolina too much as they still ended up, uh, not only were they still number one ranked in the nation in the polls the next day or two after that, they, of course, kept their number one seed. So, uh, in, in a way, no harm, no foul, I guess, when you sit there and you look at it from South Carolina's standpoint. But, obviously, if you're done, Staley's crew, you wanted to win that game. So, anyway, uh, just, again, just congratulations to both those teams regardless. And that was a really good SEC women's tournament as well there in Nashville. Uh, getting back to Tampa, like I said, the Tennessee Volunteers do their thing, but Really, besides them winning the tournament, which, again, was not a surprise to me, I just thought that this team, when you sit there and look at it, they were playing the best coming in, come, you know, into end the season and everything, coming into the tournament, and they come out and they do their thing. 
uh, beating uh, Kentucky. Well, they beat Mississippi State Friday. They beat uh, Kentucky on Saturday, which I thought would happen. And then, of course, they beat a hot Texas A&M team on Sunday and really uh, beat them pretty good. And that's what I want to talk about here before we get into any uh, anything else on the SEC. Tennessee, a team that's right now a three-seed in the NCAA tournament, should they have been higher? I think absolutely. I don't think there's any question. The Tennessee Volunteers should have been higher in a higher seed. They should have at least been a two seed. So it's almost like the committee didn't really didn't even take into account what they saw on Sunday. And then the same thing for Texas A&M. And I saw it Sunday morning, and I commented on it on Twitter. I was like, okay, Joe Lenardi. You know, I I used to really get big time into uh, the brackets and kind of predicting which teams would make it, where they would end up, what seed they would end up being, and all of that good stuff. I didn't get into it as much this season. But uh, Joe Lenardi had Texas A&M as his last team in the tournament that Sunday morning before uh, the uh, tip-off of the, of the championship game and everything. And I was like, I was like, wait a minute. Now, I understand that Texas A&M was on his next four out line starting the tournament. I mean, that's where Texas A&M, actually, they may have been lower than that. I'm not really sure when when Texas A&M started the tournament on um, Thursday. Of course, they go out, they beat, they win their first-round game. Then they come out, they win their second-round game, which was obviously was against Auburn. Huge win. Number, you know, you're talking about a quad one win against a top-five team on a neutral floor. Okay, and, and you sit there and they, you back that up with, you know, them, them already having a win against Alabama at that point at Alabama. They beat our, our Arkansas earlier in the season. And then, of course, the next day, they beat Arkansas again. Another win on a neutral floor. Now, granted, when you really look at Texas A&M's um, body of work, they they did not have a whole lot going for them before conference season. And that, I think that is ultimately what hurt them, especially, I guess, when you sit there and you kind of compare them to a team like Notre Dame. But really, truthfully, Notre Dame, all Notre Dame really had in a weak ACC. This is probably as weak an ACC as we'll ever see. In Notre Dame, the only the big, the only win that I know of that, that Notre Dame really had was was that two point win against Kentucky, and that was at home. And then, and that was I could really sit here and argue to you that that was a little bit different Kentucky team. Although yes, it was still still the same players, all that or whatever. But that team, that Kentucky team, was not nearly as good as the Kentucky team we were seeing, or at least that we saw for a good month or so in the regular season, in the regular conference season. So, and then, of course, Notre Dame takes an early exit in the ACC tournament. There were a couple of other teams I thought were questionable at the bottom of the bubble. I, I just thought Texas A&M got a job, man. The Aggies should not, should unquestionably, been in a tournament. If you had to put them in Dayton, so be it. The Aggies belonged in the dance. And I think it's just 
Uh, I thought it was really jacked up, man, that they were not included in the 2022 NCAA tournament. They deserved it. They they played extremely well. They just ran into a buzzsaw in that Tennessee team that is just, uh, I don't know, man. They they This Tennessee team looks like they could be maybe one of the top two or three teams right now in the country. You sit there and you compare them to, to a team like Gonzaga, maybe a team like to, uh, Baylor or whatever, Kansas. I mean, right now, man, I don't know that I don't take the, the volunteers against all three of those teams. I mean, that's just how good Rick Barnes has his squad playing. So, you know, you kind of look at all that, man, and you just kind of you just kind of wonder what's going on with the with the selection committee and everything. I don't know. And then you look at a team like the Alabama Crimson Tide. And again, like I said about Kentucky, the same kind of thing can could go for Alabama and kind of you know on a, on the opposite end, of, uh, kind of on the opposite spectrum, opposite end of the spectrum. Let me get that straight. Um, Alabama, we all know about the start that they had to the season, beating teams like Gonzaga and Houston. Um, and, of course, winning that game at Gonzaga. Essentially, really, really, essentially, it was at Gonzaga, but it's really technically it's a neutral floor. But still, that, that – <laughs> That counts a lot more than if they had beaten Gonzaga and Tuscaloosa. And so they beat Houston. They had the win. And then you look at some of the other wins that Alabama had. They have a win against South Dakota State. That is a team that has not lost since then. <laughs> okay. They have, you know, Alabama has a lot of good wins that aren't even really marquee wins like the Gonzaga win that really helped that really helped their strength of schedule be to be the number one in, in the nation or whatever. And that's why they got the sixth seed. But this team is not playing like a sixth seed. And to me, you're talking about uh, a team being a five or six, four, five, six seed. You're talking about, to me, at least a middle-of-the-pack team and probably maybe a little bit better than middle-of-the-pack team, in my opinion. And Alabama's not playing like that right now. They're just not. Um, they got that seed basically solely based on what they did in December. Because you sit there, you go nine and nine in the league, and then you lose your first round game, or your you know, well, your first game in the tournament in the second round against Vanderbilt, which was just terrible. They're blowing a fifteen point lead in that game. You know, it's kind of the same old story. A lot of turnovers and all that, and Vanderbilt took advantage. Uh, a lot of really overfouling by Alabama in that game. A lot of people were complaining about the referees, complaining, oh, Scotty Pippen Jr., he's just a flopper, in which I'm not saying that that's not true. But if you're Alabama, you knew how the game was being called. You can't, even Nate Oates, even Nate Oates admitted that the players were overzealous with the way they approached uh, defense. And they, 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 the fouls weren't necessary. They just worked. And so you sit there, you two guards, uh, Jaden Shackelford and Javon Quinley end up fouling out of the game there uh, before, you know, they're late in the second half, and that really doomed. I mean, there was no chance you were going to come back at that point. There was no chance you were going to come back as they got down, what, nine or ten points or whatever. 
the game was pretty much over at that point. You can't you can't continue to, to make the same fouls. You know that you got three or four fouls. You know you have to you have to play things differently. You know if the referees if the referees whistle is blowing a lot more that night, you know how to you you have to adjust to it. That's just the way it goes. Right or wrong. I mean, this team just, I don't know, man. So there are a lot of things that I can sit there and point to to justify a sixth seed. But there are also a lot of things I can point to that says Alabama should be like an eight, nine, <laughs> you know? So, you know, really, ultimately, I think it puts Alabama in a pretty decent spot, a fairly decent spot, because at least you don't have to face a number one seed until the Elite Eight if you – if you somehow get hot and you win a couple games here, but I don't know, just not really, not really knowing what we're gonna get out of Alabama. And now it kind of seems like kind of have to question what exactly we're gonna get out of Auburn after that performance on Friday afternoon there at the SEC tournament. I mean, look, Texas A&M, they're playing some really good ball. Let's let me let's just be real about it. But the way they shut down Auburn there in that game for about 35 minutes was, I don't know, man. <laughs> it was really crazy. I did, not, I did not see that coming. I was not surprised that Texas A&M ended up winning that game to a certain degree. I really wasn't. But I never would have thought that they would, you know, would just sit there and, and basically dominate the game the way they did. I, I did not see that coming at all. So, you know, we've got a lot of questions going on with both of these, of the major teams in the state of Alabama. We'll see. Uh, we'll talk about them in just a few minutes. As we're going to take another quick break. Uh, that's kind of, you know, my thoughts on what we saw in the SEC tournament. Uh, again, you sit there and you look at the teams that are moving on to the dance. You look at Tennessee, you look at ten, uh, Auburn, Kentucky. Auburn, actually, I guess, is really the first team in the pecking order with a two seed. Uh, then you look at Tennessee with a three seed. I'm uh, sorry, Kentucky with a two seed as well. Uh, and then you look at Tennessee with a three seed. We talked about that. You look at Arkansas with a four seed. And then you look at Alabama and LSU both with six seeds. We'll get into all six of those matchups, or at least we'll kind of look at what they're looking at here in the first weekend of the tournament and everything and kind of just give a little bit of an outlook of what the SEC teams uh, have to deal with here in March Madness. Again, we're going to take a quick break for right now. We're going to come back and talk about that when Ball About the South continues. All right, y'all, we're back. Ball About the South uh, we're going to get into some of the matchups and um, uh, look at, well, look ahead at the weekend, basically. Some of the first round and second round matchups as, as I see them uh, for the six teams that are in the NCAA tournament from the SEC. We'll also talk a little bit about a couple of other teams that are uh, going to the dance from this part of the country. One of those teams is Memphis. We'll get into them. We'll get into UAB. The local team right here out of uh, Birmingham and Conference USA, they were able to, again, we talked about them a little bit. They won the Conference USA tournament. We'll get into them in their matchup against Houston here in a few minutes. But we're going to go continue with the SEC right now. And I think one of, you know, you look at 
basically you have two number two seeds, Auburn and Kentucky. They are the highest seeds. I guess in a way <laughs> they're looked at as being kind of the favorites, um, you know, sort of to, to make it the farthest, although I think there are a lot of people that would argue that Kentucky should – I mean, Kentucky, uh, Tennessee – Maybe that team that gets a little bit further than anybody else. The only thing about Tennessee, man, is you know they have a pretty good basketball history. Of, you know, in my looking ahead and kind of looking at this tournament and doing my bracket and everything, and I've finished my bracket now. Um, you look at the, the Volunteers; they have never reached the Elite Eight. They've not. They've never gotten past the Sweet Sixteen, which is which is crazy it's, it's crazy to think about and you know uh you sit there and you think about all the seasons that bruce pearl coached there i know for a fact that he did not make it out of sweet 16 himself you look at some of the other you know teams that they've had you know tennessee has a pretty you know pretty decent tradition and probably you know i guess really about the third best tradition in the sec when you really look at it alabama's second behind kentucky and then Tennessee, as far as, like, wins, you know, all time. And I'm not, I'm not talking about, like, lately. <laughs> I'm talking about, like, going back to the 50s and all that, the 60s. Because, you know, I didn't see any of that stuff. But I'm just saying, as far as the wins, you know, winning all time, Tennessee would be third between, behind Alabama and Kentucky. I think, really, if you look at the last, you know, uh, 10, 15, 20 years, Obviously, I think Florida would be that team that would be behind Kentucky, maybe even right on par with Kentucky. They've they've won two national championships as well. So, and of course, been to multiple Final Fours. You know, that was a lot under Billy Donovan, of course. So, but so it's, it's just kind of crazy to, to think of Tennessee as a team that's never been beyond the Sweet Sixteen. Of course, in two thousand four, Alabama. That was the first time. Alabama had ever made it past the Sweet 16 when they um, went to the Elite Eight that season. So, yeah, kind of crazy to think about that, man. But uh, this Tennessee team, I think, has the juice to get past that finally. Uh, I have them picked to go to the Elite Eight. Um, You sit there and you look kind of – I think that is a – crazy region to look at that they're in, man, because I, I sat there and kind of went through that for, <laughs> for a minute. Uh, I kind of looked at a couple of these regions for a minute, to be honest with you. And I think, man, I, I think this is going to be a crazy tournament. That's just to, to say the least. Um, I'm going to go kind of go back. I'm trying to get to this Tennessee, you know, see what I'm talking about here with the volunteers they're in the south region and i have them going up against villanova in the elite eight no i'm sorry again have them going against villanova in the sweet 16 and i have them beating villanova but i looked at that game very closely i looked at that game for a long time man and uh you know it would not surprise me if villanova gets through to the elite eight on the other side of that bracket the Arizona Wildcats, who are right now the number one team in the country, they and a lot of people have favored the Wildcats out of the Pac-12. They are on that other side. I, I do like this Arizona team. We've seen them kind of falter in, in spots, man, but 
I'll go ahead and tell you right now. Uh, I think that's going to be the matchup. I think it's going to be Arizona and Tennessee in that Elite Eight. I'll give you my final four a little bit later on. But uh, so, you know, I have Tennessee making it beyond the Sweet 16 for the first time, but I'm not, you know, I don't feel, it, you know, totally confident in that pick. And I'm going to tell you why, because again, I, I like to look at teams that, have really good guard play. so And that's a really a good thing for Tennessee. Tennessee, I think, checks a lot of boxes. They, they have size. They have the guard play with guys like Kennedy Chandler. Again, like, you know, you talk about a guy like Fulkerson who's been there, five, you know, seemingly 10 years <laughs> on the interior, number 10. You know, they have, they have size beyond Fulkerson as well. And, you know, I think they're athletic enough. I don't know if they're the most athletic team in the world, but Tennessee, to me, checks a lot of the boxes that you want to see checked in March Madness, in a March Madness setting. So, you know, I think, you know, getting out of this game against Longwood, I don't think that should be too much of a problem. You would think not, but again, this is March Madness. You never know what happens. (laughs) You never know. But I've got the, the Vols marching on. And then I have them beating Michigan and and uh right now, you know, I'm not really certain about that Michigan Colorado State game. I went on to pick Michigan, but it would not surprise me if this if it's Colorado State on the other end of that matchup. I think either way Tennessee will get it done and then they'll get to Villanova in uh um uh, in that sweet sixteen as I was saying. I've got Villanova beating Loyola Chicago in the in the uh, round of thirty two. Just for <laughs> so that means I have Loyola Chicago, the fighting sister jeans. It's hard to go against them, man. It's hard to go against sister Jean. I've got them beating Ohio State in the first round, so I've got you know Nova, Loyola Chicago on the other edge of that Tennessee Michigan game, and I got the Volunteers beating Nova again, like I said, in the Sweet 16. Let's go ahead. Uh, actually, if you look at the South region, Tennessee is the only team from the SEC in that region. We'll come back to the uh, to the South because UAB is in that region. We'll come back to that. Let's go to the Midwest, and that's where you find the Auburn Tigers. And the Jacksonville State is a team right out of here, right out of uh, the state of Alabama. That is an interesting matchup, to say the least. Um. Uh, obviously, like Auburn in that game, I think Jack State probably can hang with them. Here's the thing about Auburn, man. You know, and, and it's starting to become a little bit more worrisome than I thought it would be maybe two or three weeks ago. This, this is a team that's really starting to struggle offensively. And you sit there and you think about it. Now, going into the season, I think the reason most people had Auburn picked fifth in the SEC was the, due to the fact that of their guard play. And the inconsistencies. Um, I'm not really sure why is, they've been as bad lately. Key, uh, Keon Johnson, man, he went 0 for 14 in the game against uh, what was that game they played? It may have been the A&M game, Texas A&M game in the uh, uh, on last Friday in the SEC tournament. 0 for 14. And Wendell Green is a guy that, you know, they have been coming off the bench. I'm assuming Pearl is going to keep that the same. I'm not really sure. He's obviously, a you know, a guy that comes out, and, you know, big-time three-point shooting threat and everything. 
But they turn the ball over a little bit too much for me sometimes when they get down. And then they, they take a lot of shots, really, that I don't I don't think they really need to be taking. I mean, you know, you when you have a guy like Jabari Smith, who's going to be a top two or three pick in the NBA draft, I don't think there's any question about that. You're talking about a guy that's being compared to Kevin Durant. And this, you know, this is no kind of like, okay, uh, I see a tall guy out there shooting and he can, he's got a little athleticism and he can dribble the basketball. Okay, he's Kevin Durant. This dude has a really legit chance. I'm not saying he's going to be Kevin Durant at the next level, but this dude has a really legit chance to be as close as anyone else has been since Kevin Durant has been in the league. He's 6'10", 6'11", uh, maybe even a little bit uh, Around the same size as Kevin Durant, maybe a little bit bigger already. Maybe they're not too much different as far as that goes. And this dude can can uh, I mean, he can light you up from three point range. And then he is, I mean, you're talking about that elbow range where Kevin Durant loves to get. Kevin Durant loves that elbow area right there at the free throw line. I mean, it's, it's just almost unstoppable. If he gets to that point, you might as well just go and start running to the other end of the court. And it's all, you know, when you're talking about Kevin Durant. And it's almost the same thing with Jabari Smith. And it's even probably, it should be even more of an advantage for Auburn, considering you're not going to play a lot of teams that are going to be able to match up with him on the interior like that. And then you sit there and you're talking about having a guy like Walker Kessler, who's been. A block, a shot blocking machine. He's a seven foot, well, legit seven footer. His dad played. Uh, his dad and uncle played at the University of Georgia. Alec Kessler was really a, a nice center that played at Georgia back, I think, in the early '90s or whatever. Uh, he's from that family tree. I mean, Walker Kessler is not a guy that just stands, you know, has to stand in the lane or anything like that. So it's not a thing about Kessler just having to clog up the lane. This is a dude that can step out and shoot the ball from the perimeter. So you can do some things with Kessler and Jabari Smith, some high-low things or whatever, uh, screen and rolls at the top of the key with, you know, with uh, Jabari Smith with the ball in his hands. I just I'm, I just wonder if Auburn has been creative enough in getting Jabari Smith enough touches because there's no I just don't see any way you're talking about having another legit seven footer that can step out and shoot from the perimeter like Kessler and then you have Jabari Smith who can shoot from the perimeter put the ball on the floor he's really good in the post I don't I, I don't understand how you go through the droughts that Auburn goes through. I don't really understand it. And I understand that, you know, Bruce Pearl, one of the things you have to like about him, he's not a guy that that's really for one guy dominating the ball. And I say this is not necessarily about dominating the ball in what I'm talking about with Jabari Smith. But I'm like, if you have that kind of a uh, mismatch, I'm going to feed it. That's just the way it goes. And for me, I, I don't think they got him enough touches and, and enough positions where he could be he could exploit the defenses of the, of the the team that they're playing so we'll see how that goes that's the, those are the things that scare me about Tennessee and Auburn their ability well their um uh their tendency to go on drought scoring drought and we've seen it from Auburn 
We haven't seen it much lately from Tennessee, but we did earlier in the season. So we'll see how it goes. Kind of scares me a little bit about this conference as a whole, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, you look at Kentucky. In my opinion, man, uh, in there in the East region, I think Kentucky may have the easiest path to the Final Four of all the um, six teams, possibly. I mean, I, and I say that, and then I look at the other end of this bracket. You're talking about a team like Baylor on the other end. You're talking about a team that went to the Final Four last year in UCLA. Um. I have, you know, I think Kentucky right now is is going to get to the lead eight. I have them going up against UCLA. I'm I'm a believer in Baylor, but you know that the the Bears I think have gone through some injuries this season. And I'm not really sure that they're they've gotten to exactly the point where they were last year where they uh, won at all. I think Kentucky. I think um, I'm sorry. I think UCLA beats Baylor in the Sweet Sixteen. And I think uh, UCLA gets to play Kentucky for a chance to go to the Final Four. I'm sorry. Let me go back to the Midwest. I did not tell you my scenarios that I have for Auburn now. While I talked about Auburn, I think Auburn has a favorable path to the to the uh, Final Four as well. I mean, I, I just think when you sit there and look at to a degree now, I think the key game in this whole thing for Auburn is getting obviously well, you've got to win the first game. But if you get if you beat Jacksonville State. Getting past that second-round game against USC is not going to be as easy as some people might think. And USC is another team that made a long run last year in the, in the NCAA tournament. I think they made it to the lead eight, if I'm not mistaken. The, uh, the Pac-12 had an amazing run last year. They had Oregon State. They had UCLA. Uh, Oregon State almost made the Final Four out of nowhere. UCLA basically came out of nowhere and made the Final Four. I don't know if they're going to have that kind of run in them this year, but it would not surprise me at all if SC, USC, that is, beats Auburn in that second round. That would mess up my bracket because I have Auburn going to the lead eight. Maybe I'm looking at this thing crazy. I don't know. You tell me. I have Auburn going up against Kansas in the Elite Eight, and I'm not I'm not huge on Kansas either. I, I, I like the kid Abaji, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Yeah, he, he averages around twenty points a game. He looks like he's going to be a guy that could have a really good NBA career ahead and everything. But man, Kansas always has their problems early in this tournament. I just don't, you know, it's it's really wild. I would love to see Texas Southern beat Kansas. I mean, that that you know, the HBCUs. Obviously, that is who they play in the first round. Obviously, that's more than likely not going to happen. You got Kansas going to the second round against San Diego State. I think San Diego State, again, is a team that always plays defense. That's where Kawhi Leonard came from. That's where he got it from, obviously. I don't think San Diego State is going to be able to score enough. Then I've got Kansas going against Iowa. That should be an interesting game. There could be a lot of scenarios in this turn in this this on this side of the tournament as well. South Dakota State and Providence, that's an upset possible right there. I've got Ed Cooley and the Providence Friars moving on, but I have Iowa beating them in the second round. So I have Kansas and Iowa in the Sweet 16 opposite of Auburn. And then I have Kansas and Auburn in the Elite Eight. Again, I'm going to give you my final four here a little bit later on. I have Auburn 
uh, Auburn has to have an opponent in the Sweet 16. And I don't feel the best out of this. But I got LSU playing Auburn in that Sweet 16. <laughs> and I know what you're saying, y'all. I know what you're saying to me right now. You mean the team that doesn't have a coach, the, the, where the coach has been let go? I just like this team athletically. I'm talking about LSU, and you're talking about a guy like Tari Eason, who I think has kind of been an overlooked kind of overlooked guy this season. He's starting to get some love. The NBA prospects are starting to look at him. He may end up being a one-and-done guy. And you have guys like Darius Days and everything. I just think LSU is really athletic. They really defend you. They pressure you all over the floor. They get a lot of turnovers out of you. I've got them winning their opening game against Iowa State. I've got them moving on against Wisconsin, man. I think they beat Wisconsin in the second round. I like them. I'm usually a Wisconsin guy. I usually like to move Wisconsin deep into my tournament on my bracket. It would not surprise me if, if Wisconsin wins, of course, and then uh, beats Auburn. I think that's how close these games are. I mean, I think a lot of these games are toss-ups. I could see Wisconsin being in the lead eight against Kansas. Or I could see Iowa being the team on the other side of the bracket instead of Kansas. I could see it being Providence. So, you know, it's crazy right now. Crazy. But it, but I, I have LSU in that other uh, Sweet 16 game. Obviously, I told you I have Auburn getting to the Elite Eight. Um, that means I have them beating LSU. Let's go to the um, South region. Next, we know we've already been to the South. We'll go to the West. Okay. <laughs> and there you have two teams out of the uh, Southeastern Conference over there. And you look at a team, man, like uh, the Arkansas Razorbacks. They are the fourth seed out west, and you know it's kind of you know I think these these current these brackets are pretty even, man. I don't think one really stands out as being, oh, this one is, is just that much easier than the other one. The South is much tougher than the West, or or whatever. I don't really see that. I think all these brackets are pretty evenly matched. Um, Arkansas starts out with Vermont. That should be an interesting game. I mean, I think Vermont's a team that can probably hang in with them. I have Arkansas winning that game. I've got Arkansas going to the Sweet 16, man. And that, and I have them on the opposite side of Gonzaga. And if Gonzaga has uh, has to be has to meet Arkansas in the Sweet 16, that means they're going to beat Memphis. And let's talk about the Memphis Tigers, the champions of the American. They get out of the American Athletic Conference with a huge win over Houston. I'm sorry. Huge, well, two huge wins over Houston in the regular season that propelled them into the tournament. Into the tournament. They ended up losing the championship game in the, turn, uh, in the conference tournament this past Sunday. But the Tigers are still dangerous. We talked about them uh, in a little while. We talked about them in several episodes uh, since the season started. It's just good to see Penny Hardaway get a little bit of uh, – Payback in a way, I guess, man. I mean, you, know, you had fans coming down on him. You had the media coming down on him. Jeff Calkins is a guy, uh, well-respected guy there in the, in the Memphis area. He's been a beat writer in Memphis for the commercial for commercial appeal for years and years. And he comes at you know Penny. We all know what that, that confrontation. Well, it wasn't a confrontation, but. <laughs> 
penny went off. We all know that, and I and I think for good reason. I mean, I don't see how you can sit there and ask a coach, "Do you think he can get the job done?" I mean, what what was Penny supposed to say at that point? No, I don't think I can do it. No, I'm I, I'm in over my head. I can't get this job done. I'm gonna go on and move on. I'm gonna go on and quit. No, I mean Penny. You know, again, now did he have to come with the expletives? And you know, no, probably not. But on the flip side of that, I understand because it was frustrating to him. It had to be to hear the talk, the you know, the chatter going on on, on I'm sure on Memphis sports radio. You're talking about uh, the national sports scene and all of that, Twitter, whatever. I mean, none of it was good for for Penny Hardaway. So to get that team together, man, and you know, those kids grew up a little bit. And they uh, earned their way into the tournament, and I, I'm just happy for Penny Hardaway. I am. Again, I you know, I don't know how good a coach Penny Hardaway is. I'm not going to sit here and say that this guy is the, the you know uh, uh, the the best coach Memphis can get. I, you know, I'm I you know right now I probably would say he's not, but. I think he's doing a really good job there. Obviously, he's doing a really good job recruiting. So let's let this dude coach the team and see what happens. And, they, you know, that kind of finally happened toward the end of the season, and, and you see the results. Memphis is in the tournament. I think they get out of their first round again against Boise State, and they move on to the second round. But I think Gonzaga's is going to be a little bit too much for them, especially when that game is played out there. I think it's in Portland. I think that's probably going to be a little bit too much for Memphis to um, handle. But, again, really good season, really good answer, a comeback season for Memphis there uh, since, I guess, really December is when Memphis kind of turned things around. Like, again, like I say, on the other side of that game, I've got Arkansas, but I have Gonzaga moving on uh, to the Elite Eight, and I have them playing Texas Tech. And that's uh, I need to kind of talk about that because Alabama is on the other side of that bracket. I have the Alabama Crimson Tide uh, beating Notre Dame. Notre Dame ended up winning their game uh, in the first four tonight and uh, against Rutgers. I kind of predicted that would happen. So you got the Iron again. It took them two overtime to do it. So. I've got Alabama moving on against the Irish to the second round, and then I have Alabama playing Texas Tech. And I just think, man, everything that's gone on with this Alabama team and you look at the weaknesses of this team, the way they turn it over, I think that is the worst. You're talking about a sixth seed, man. (laughs) It's probably the worst one you could come up with for Alabama at this point. You look at the East region. If it was Texas or Virginia Tech, I'd feel a heck of a lot better if I was Alabama. I mean, six or that's the six eleven game in the East. I, you know, I would I would feel like Alabama would have a really good shot to make it to the uh, the Sweet Sixteen. Then you look at uh, the South region, which going to come. We're going to come back to that because UAB is in that region. You sit there and you look at Colorado State and Michigan. I feel pretty decent about Alabama in, in that matchup. Of course, the, the Midwest would be LSU, so there was no chance of that happening. So, 
you know, this is the worst of those three because they, I, they, they, there's no way the committee would have matched up Alabama and LSU in the second round. So that wouldn't have, that wouldn't have worked. So of the three possible six eleven games, oh, <laughs> uh, uh, well, you know what? You know what? I looked at it wrong. Let me go back and look at this. I'm so, the the three seeds. I should be looking at the three seeds. I don't know what I'm thinking about. Alabama's a six seed. Let me go back. I'm looking. Okay, at the three seeds. You look at Purdue. I feel pretty decent about that because Purdue is a team that doesn't defend as well. They score a lot of points. It might be 99-98, but uh, <laughs> if Alabama played Purdue. But I feel a lot better about Alabama playing Purdue. You look at the South, the three seed, because, again, now there, there you go right there. The Alabama would not be matched up against Tennessee, so you couldn't do that. And you look at the Midwest, Wisconsin. Wisconsin's a team that likes to slow it down. There would not be an optimal, optimal matchup for Alabama. But I would think Alabama could have a shot in that game. So of the three seeds, man, Texas Tech of the three game of the three three seeds other than Tennessee, Texas Tech to me is by far the toughest because of the way they defend. Now the one thing about Texas Tech is they have problems scoring sometimes. And of course they had problems scoring the year that they made it to the um, uh final four. And they made that work anyway. So now it is what it is. So you know, I just I just can't see Alabama having success against that defense. I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. And so I've got Texas Tech moving on to the Sweet 16 against Duke, and uh, and I have Texas Tech beating Duke in the Sweet 16, therefore ending the. Uh, the coaching uh, uh, career of a legend, uh, Mike Krzyzewski, Coach K. I have Texas Tech moving on to, to meet the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Let me go back to the South region, man, really quick. Again, we're going to talk about the UAB Blazers. And this is a team, and they're matched up in the in the five twelve game against the Houston Cougars. Again, we know about the Houston Cougars. Last year, they went, made it all the way to the championship game. Uh, really, really fantastic season from Kelvin Sampson. They ended up losing to Baylor there in that All Texas Showdown in the in the national championship in Indianapolis. That's a tough matchup for UAB, but I'm gonna tell you, man, Conference USA. I I, mean, I don't really have the stat in front of me, but Conference USA has been very good as of late when we're talking about those, these first round matchups. They have been excellent. And UAB won one in 2015. They beat Iowa State. I know Middle Tennessee has won at least two, maybe three first-round matchups. And I think one, I know one of those uh, times that Middle, Middle Tennessee State won a first-round matchup. They also won their second-round matchup and made it to the Sweet 16. We saw North Texas win a game in the tournament. We've seen Western Kentucky have their success. Now, that's been a little bit further back. But this is, Conference USA finds a way seemingly all the time to win a game and win a game or two in this tournament. And I think Conference USA to me is still an underrated league. It's a mid-major. There are a lot of underrated leagues around the country, so I'm not going to just single out Conference USA from that. But 
for that reason, man, because you sit there and look at the matchup, I mean, I don't like the matchup because Houston is a really physical team, but I think UAB has enough size if they can – if Trey Jimson, he's a true legit seven-footer around 245, 240, 245, somewhere in that range. Pretty good size, really good rebounding, really good protecting the rim. If he can stay out of foul trouble – I like UAB's chances in this game because they, uh, they have a guy like – they may have the best player on the floor, Jordan Jelly Walker. If you haven't heard of him, you need to check him out. Number 10, I've talked about him on this show a couple times. Uh, he is a, he's you know small in stature guard, um, probably around 5'11", maybe 6 foot. He might be 6 foot. But this dude, man, when I tell you, when I tell you this dude can do it all, he can get to the rim he can, and finish. Um, he's a fantastic three-point shooter, has almost unlimited range as far as that goes. Uh, he's good in the mid-range as well. Has good you know, floaters from 10, 15 feet or whatever and all of that. He has pretty much everything in his arsenal. The one thing you, you don't like is sometimes his decision-making as far as shot selection and things of that nature. And I think that's some things that kind of gets UAB in trouble because he kind of tries to do a little bit too much at times. And, you know, but, uh, you know, and, and it's really not necessary, necessary because UAB has some good, really good complimentary pieces like Quan Jackson, who's, who's the guy that starts next to him at guard. They have a guy, Zach Ertle, who comes off the bench, who's a good shooter himself. He had 22 points, I believe it was. In that Friday win over Louisiana Tech, uh, over, uh, not Louisiana Tech. Oh my goodness! Uh, in the, the well, in the semifinal win for UAB to get UAB to the championship against Louisiana Tech, uh, Ertel is a really good shooter. If you're talking about Jordan Walker. This dude is going for forty points a couple times this season. <laughs> He's going over thirty several times. He is going to be a nightmare for Houston to to, um, to match up with. Like, I think a lot of teams he, he would be a, a nightmare to, to match up with. So, I think UAB hangs in there. I think UAB gets it done, man. I just really do. I'm just going on the history of this league. I'm going on the history of the UAB Blazers. I love how they have, uh, they usually find a way to win a game. I really think this team has kind of uh, been overlooked a little bit. They obviously did not have a great schedule because you sit there, they're not going to be able to schedule a lot of really good teams because of who they are and where they, the conference they play in and all of that. But uh, I really think UAB has a chance. And I think on the other side of that bracket, I like Chattanooga, man. <laughs> I, I have in my bracket, I have a 12-13 matchup. UAB and Chattanooga. I have Chattanooga, the mocks, beating Illinois in the first round. Those are kind of a couple of my upsets. <laughs> I don't have a lot of really big upsets, but that's one that I have. And I have UAB marching on to the Sweet 16 against the Arizona Wildcats. That would be crazy, but I, that's why I have it. You know, it, every year we see an 11 or a 12 seed, sometimes even a 13. We've seen several 10s and all of that make it to the Sweet 16. I think we're going to see a couple this year as well. And I think one of them would be the UAB Blazers. I'm going to look at a couple more of my upsets here in my bracket really quick. 
I think one game to watch, though, man, for Kentucky, while I'm talking about this, Kentucky, that second-round matchup against Murray State could be a little bit scary for Kentucky. Murray State, that is where John Morant came from. Yeah, that is still a good basketball team. I would not be surprised to see that happen. I have Indiana winning their first-round game against St. Mary's. That's a 12-5 game. Uh, you know, uh, we'll go out west and look at my bracket here. Uh, I have Davidson beating Michigan State. Would not It would not shock me if Davidson beats Duke in that second round. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. Just keep in mind, man, what I'm telling you now. Would not shock me at all. That would not be the way, Coach K. This this has been terrible, a terrible uh, swan song or uh, retirement tour, whatever you want to call it, man, for for Coach K so far. They lose to North Carolina on, this, on the final game of the regular season, then they lose to Virginia Tech in the championship game for uh, ACC tournament, and I don't think they're going to make it to the Final Four in this tournament. Again, that's how I have it picked here in my bracket. Um, so that's some of the upsets that I have. I don't have a lot of huge upsets. Uh, we'll see how all that goes, but I'm going to give you my Final Four right now, man. I'll give you my Final Four. I have on one side, I have Gonzaga, the Bulldogs, prevailing over the uh, – uh, who do I have Gonzaga up against? I had them against Arkansas in the, in the uh, Sweet 16. I have Gonzaga beating Texas Tech in the Elite Eight. I have them moving on. I have Kentucky. I think it's going to be a fantastic game against UCLA in the Elite Eight. I have the Wildcats moving on out of the East. In the South, I have Arizona beating Tennessee. And in the Midwest, I have the Auburn Tigers. <laughs> I don't feel great about this, man. This is the region that this region I don't like, man. I can see Kansas off obviously, uh, you know, I have Auburn beating Kansas. Would not surprise me if Kansas makes it, but it also would not surprise me if Kansas is booted out in the first weekend. Really crazy stuff. And like I said, the madness begins. That is my look at the NCAA tournament so far. Um, so far, I make sure I uh, looked at everything that I wanted to kind of look at, go back over my notes a little bit to kind of make sure. But uh, yeah, it's you know we're gonna it's gonna be a lot of fun I think in this tournament, man. And, but I think that uh, you know it's, it's you know it's gonna be. I don't know if we're going to see the the magnitude of the upsets that we've seen in the past. I think we're going to see some. I don't think there's any question about that. I just don't know if it's going to be as, you know, topsy-turvy as it can be. Anyway, man, we're going to take a quick break. That is my look at the NCAA tournament. Hope that you all enjoy March Madness. I definitely plan on doing so. We'll come back, man. We're going to get into some of this NFL talk, some free agency that has been going crazy. Like I said, a lot of madness going on around there. We'll talk about that when Ball About the South continues. Okay, y'all, we're back again with my last segment here, episode 23, Ball About the South. We're going to get into some NFL talk as we're deep in free agency right now. Man, there's a lot going on. There's a lot. I mean, really, probably too much. 
to um you know put into one uh to put into one episode to be honest with you though um obviously <laughs> we all know what happened on Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening kind of like I'd say probably midway through when uh, the NCAA tournament selection show was on the men's selection show, that is Tom Brady. One, Tom Brady is headed back. He could not stay retired. (laughs) I mean, I wish I could say that I'm surprised, but I'm not. Now, am I surprised at the timing? Yes, I am. I, I figured he would come back. I thought he would probably come back. Um, so, you know, like I said, I'm, I really was not surprised, but the timing is incredible, man. Right in the middle of the selection show. And uh, and he does it by uh, via Twitter. <laughs> I mean, really, man? I mean, seriously? <laughs> I mean, really, TB12? I mean... I, I don't know, man. It's just really crazy when I sit here and think about it. It just really is. But again, I'm not surprised at all that Tom Brady decided to come back. I thought possibly he would come, you know, it's like, okay, you know what, man, around uh, time for training camp, somewhere around July or something like that. He's like, you know what, okay, man, you know, let me go on and do this thing. I'm not, This is not for me sitting at the house. I'm coming back. But then again, it makes sense, though, because we're at free agency, and obviously the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were going to have to go out and get into the quarterback market. So, it, the, you know, in that sense, it makes it does make sense for him to come out right before free agency. I just wish he would have, you know, not done it at, in the middle of the NCAA selection show and then right before the NCAA women's selection show. I mean, this is the first time in a long, long time that the women's selection show was actually on Sunday after the men's. And here goes this dude talking about, okay, you know what? I'm going to get on Twitter and and announce that I'm coming back and I'm going back to the Tampa Bay Buccaneer. (laughs) I mean, really, man? You couldn't have waited till after that women's selection show or something like that, it still was going to have the same effect. It was, you were still going to break Twitter. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Anyway. <clears throat> anyway, excuse me for that. But I just, you know, I just the timing was crazy. But So the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have their quarterback. Uh, they have made a couple of other moves here accordingly, and I would expect expect another move probably here in short time you know uh, to announce that Gronk uh, Rob Gronkowski Rob Gronkowski is going to sign back with them and all of that too I would definitely expect that to come soon because there was chatter out there that who knows maybe Tennessee Titans would try to put their name out there into the uh, Rob Gronkowski sweepstakes which would have made a lot of sense the Titans are looking for a good tight end to uh, complement their offense and be a kind of a safety blanket or whatever, security blanket or whatever, for Ryan Tannehill. I couldn't think of another a better guy than Rob Gronkowski. 
I mean, I could not. But, uh, you know, obviously I think he's going to end up uh, signing back with Tampa Bay. Then you, uh, you know, obviously you look at other guys. Uh, I see that Russell Gage is a wide receiver from the Falcons. He's going to basically move within the uh, NFC South, and he's going to move to Tampa Bay from Atlanta. Um, you know, so the 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 Buccaneers are kind of really going to try to do this thing again with basically most of the same pieces that they had last year. We'll see what uh, they'll have some movement maybe on the offensive line. We'll see how that goes. Uh, Leonard Fournette is another guy that they're going to have to um, make sure he's in the fold, but I'm sure that he will be available to them as well. I'd be surprised if he's not back in Tampa Bay as well. So, you know, uh, Tampa Bay is looking to uh, get back to where they were in 2021 when they won the Super Bowl, and this is a big step that way. Now, if you ask me, man, you know, while I think you have to do this if you're Tampa Bay, I mean, you, you, know, you, you know, you sit there and you look at the quarterback market, there are a lot of big-time questions, whether it be Carson Wentz, whether it be Jameis Winston, whether it be, oh, my goodness, Mitch Trubisky, who just signed with the Pittsburgh Steelers, or at least is going to sign reportedly with the Pittsburgh Steelers, which that that's a curious signing in the, in the least. <laughs> I mean, I'm I really, not really sure I understand that one. Looks to me like the Steelers would have least man, maybe they did. Maybe you know, maybe they have explored Deshaun Watson, which is a subject we have not I have not discussed yet, but I'm gonna get to. Uh Deshaun Watson, everything is okay for him to come back and play next season. So obviously that sweepstakes is huge. I'm not really sure why the Steelers didn't say, well, okay, you know what, you know, you probably could have gotten Trubisky or someone as good as Trubisky at just about any time, so why not try to throw your you know, throw your name in the hat before um the best quarterback in my opinion that's on the market because you sit there and you look up, Aaron Rodgers is off the market now he is going back to Green Bay, which is not a surprise to me. Uh, I thought he if he did leave Green Bay I thought it would be the Denver. But that did not turn up. The Denver Broncos have Russell Wilson had hit it their way. So those are the two biggest names off the board. Uh, basically, you know, not too long in the free agency. So you sit there and look at those two names being off the board. Deshaun Watson obviously goes to the top of the food chain at that point. And, um, you know, if I was the Steelers, I would have kind of waited and just, you know, say, look, you know, let's let's see what, what the deal is with Deshaun Watson before we make a move. So my guess is with the Steelers, they're probably, you know, they're looking they're looking to um, get a guy like Trubisky and then they may draft a quarterback. So we'll see how that goes. But, uh, I mean, you look at, you know, this whole thing, man, it's, it's pretty wild. So, uh, again, like I say, Russell Wilson's off the board, Aaron Rodgers is off the board, so you've got James Winston still out there. Could he go back to New Orleans? Uh, obviously, that's a possibility. Could Deshaun Watson go to New Orleans? Maybe. I'm hearing more chatter about him going to the Atlanta Falcons right now. The Falcons are trying to get a package together to entice the Houston Texans to trade Deshaun Watson to Atlanta. How would that be? And then, okay, if that happens, I mean, this, this is a whole domino effect, man. If that happens, then what happens with Matt Ryan? 
where does Mandy Ice end up? I'm seeing possibly Indianapolis, which would, <laughs> I mean, which would be mind blowing. I would, I would never have expected anything like that. And I mean, I'm not saying that that's, that it's going to happen, but that is the chatter right now because Carson Wentz is headed to Washington. He is headed to be the quarterback of the Washington co- Commanders. Which, obviously, you know, you have to sit there and <laughs> and think about that one for a minute. It's like, okay, it's, you know, uh, Carson Wentz, I mean, could, could he have done a little bit better for himself on that? Really a lot going on, again, like I said, in the NFL. And then with all of that going on with the quarterback carousel in the NFL, I mean, they're you know, obviously – a lot going on, Kirk Cousins. There's a, that's another guy that we have not discussed. We'll have to see what um, path he takes for next season and everything. Will he end up back in Minnesota? Not really sure. You sit there and you look at other moves going around the NFL. Amari Cooper, Amari, <laughs> Amari Cooper going to the Cleveland Browns. The Dallas Cowboys decided that they would part ways with him. They released him. They're looking at guys like Gallup uh, to go alongside uh, C.D. Lamb, which, you know, I don't know if that's a bad move. You know, uh, Gallup definitely showed a lot of promise last season, and I think uh, pairing him up with uh, C.D. Lamb could be good. You know, I'm a big Amari Cooper guy, but obviously, you know, with his injury history, he's had some issues there. So, you know, Amari now ends up in Cleveland, which is pretty interesting because who is going to be the quarterback for the Cleveland Browns? Obviously, apparently, it's it may not be Baker Mayfield. I'm seeing some talk about him moving elsewhere. So... I'm not really sure what's going on, and then uh, I think there I've seen some chatter about the Browns trying to throw their name in the hat for a guy like Deshaun Watson. So I mean, this whole thing there's a lot to go through, a lot to process as we're sitting here thinking about what's going on with NFL free agency right now. It is really crazy, man. It is complete madness. Like I said, you know, like I said, the madness begins with the title of this. Um, episode and 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 that's what we have going on right now you sit there and you look at the la rams right now uh they still have to sign obj odell beckham jr back but they have now signed Allen robinson the longtime wide receiver for the chicago bears is now on the move to la they still have robert woods in the fold they still have super bowl mvp cooper cup in the fold and they sign OBJ back, and I'm hearing they have the cap space to do it. My goodness. <laughs> Man, my goodness. I mean, how are you supposed to stop that? How are you supposed to stop that if when they go to a four-wide receiver set or whatever? I mean, that is going to be insane if that all comes to fruition, and it's looking like it just might. So obviously uh, Matthew Stafford is, is you know licking his chops with the thought of that. So the Super Bowl champs could be really set. Uh, not really sure if Von Miller's going to be back. I'm seeing some teams offering some big time money for him. 
not really sure if that how that's going to work out, but uh, I think the Rams are going to be just fine. Uh, we'll see how they do it. So, man, like I said, man, a lot going on around the NFL. But you know, if you really want to kind of sit there, and, sit there and focus in on the on the Tennessee Titans. Obviously, we try to do that here. We try to focus in on the teams here in the AFC and in the NFC South. Talked a little bit about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Titans, obviously, like I said, are in the market for a tight end. That is a huge um, – I think that is a huge need for them right now. Obviously, they could use some more offensive line help. They could use a um, – you know, Julio Jones has been released or at least – is likely to be released by the Titans here in the next couple of days. So uh, finding someone else to, at wide receiver is going to be of essence for them. They're going to have to find someone to play opposite A.J. Brown. Uh, they have a couple of other guys that had, that had some nice seasons. Westbrook Aquino, um, you know, had a nice little season there. But obviously they, I'm sure they would want to find someone that can be a little bit more dynamic for uh, Ryan Tannehill to throw the football to. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, defensively, uh, Carl Landry is hit. I'm sorry, Harold Landry is is coming back. Uh, the Titans have, have secured him for next season, so that is a good thing. So, you know, again, you know, the Titans look basically looking to, uh, I don't know if they're going to be able to make a huge splash anywhere. But I think that they're going to make some, at least some subtle moves where they'll at least be able to stay where they are. And where they are is being a Super Bowl contender. I mean, let's just be real about it. Even though they did not make it, they still ended up uh, with the number one record in the AFC. They had home field advantage. They just uh, fumbled it away, unfortunately, or they, you know, kind of threw it away, (laughs) to be quite frank with uh, Ryan Townhill throwing those interceptions in the Cincinnati game and everything. So, you know, they can just screw up the positions that they need to. I think the Titans should be right back on course. And, you know, you sit there and you look at the rest of the division. Obviously, the Houston Texans are going to be uh, – the struggles should still be real for them. And then you look at the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're sitting there throwing money around like – there's no gas, <laughs> like gas is still 99 cents a gallon. <laughs> I mean, they paid, uh, who was that? I mean, the Jacks just gave Christian Kirk about $20 million a year. <laughs> I mean, Christian Kirk got a bag from the Jaguars. I mean, Christian Kirk is a nice receiver. He's okay. But uh, Christian Kirk has not done enough, in my opinion, to warrant being paid like that. But the Jaguars threw him that kind of money. Uh, They lost DJ Chark um, in free agency or whatever. So I guess basically uh, Christian Kirk is going to be his replacement. They uh, Miles Jack, they let go of Miles Jack, which was pretty surprising. For the Jaguars, the linebackers, so obviously they're going to have to make some moves there. Uh, you know, a lot of, you know, so again, it's not really, it's going to be pretty difficult to expect the Jaguars to be a contender in the AFC South. And then, of course, like we just kind of mentioned, the Indianapolis Colts, obviously they're the team 
that would be closest to uh, contending with the, with the Titans, and they're still trying to figure out who their quarterback is going to be. Uh, could it be Jameis Winston now? Uh, you know, will they try to throw their name in the hat for Deshaun Watson? You know, we know it's not going to be Carson Wentz now. So maybe a guy like Winston makes sense. Maybe a guy like, uh, who knows, maybe it's Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, not really sure. Now, if it's Jimmy Garoppolo, even though um, I don't know if you really get excited about your quarterback being Jimmy G, you know, at least we know that he's a guy that, that, you know, he has a winning record. I mean, if Indianapolis can get their defense together, obviously they have one of the best running backs in the game. And Taylor, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe they that would be enough to um, have them contend in the, for the playoffs and in, in the AFC South. Maybe that would be enough. I'm not really sure. So we have to see about how, you know, see how that goes. Uh, and then, again, you look in the NFC South. Again, we talked about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't see any reason, especially now that they have Tom Brady in the fold again, to, to think that they're not going to be the top dog in the NFC South. Uh, you know, you look at the Carolina Panthers. You know, they're looking, obviously, the quarterback as well. That's going to be an interesting deal. Uh, you know, they're going to have to uh, find some help for um, – Whoever, whoever the QB there, uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, you know, hopefully they can keep a guy like uh, Christian McCaffrey uh, healthy finally. So a lot of question marks going on there. A lot of question marks, obviously in Atlanta. Uh, and now it's not looking as you know as as likely that Matt Ryan is going to be the quarterback there because we're seeing that uh, the Falcons are looking to possibly get Deshaun Watson. Now, if they get Deshaun Watson, then, you know, maybe that make, maybe that changes things a little bit in the NFC South. Uh, you know, now they don't have Calvin Ridley, which is something else we have not talked about. Calvin Ridley has been suspended for the season for gambling, uh, which is obviously very excessive i mean you know there are a lot of worse things these dudes can be doing and he was not playing in these games that he bet on so i'm not really understanding what the issue is obviously okay yeah maybe he needs to be reprimanded for the full season no so obviously uh the falcons are going to have to figure out something on their wide receiver and i just got done talking about russell cage uh, Russell Gage, he's moving on to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So they're going, they've gone. They have some questions at wide receiver. Could Julio be back in Atlanta? <laughs> I don't know. That would be uh, kind of crazy. But so you know, basically, what I'm trying to say is, and then you, again, you look at well, and you look at the New Orleans Saints. Obviously, they have uh, Alvin Kamara. They have Michael Thomas, who apparently is going to be back, but you don't know who's going to be throwing the ball to him. Uh, the defense was very good last year, obviously. So that's something that they really can lean on. But, uh, again, the questions offensively really came back to bite them last year. So, you know, I think you look at the AFC South and the NFC South, man, I think the Tennessee Titans and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are still very much the favorites in both of those divisions. I, I just don't see how you can look at it any other way. 
But, uh, again, we're early in free agency. We still have the draft coming up. So this is something we'll definitely revisit as the um, offseason goes on. And that's going to be exciting to look at, man. really is. So, you know, that's kind of a synopsis of, you know, the madness that at least that's what I call it going on (laughs) in uh, the NFL. Uh, really good stuff going on there, and and, and I'm all for it. I'm just going to be more into March Madness right now. Again, then you sit there and you look at the uh, Major League Baseball, which is going to get started here pretty quickly. Uh, Eddie Rosario, I'm seeing now, will be back in Atlanta. So that is going to be very interesting to see how that Freddie Freeman deal goes. What do they do, what do, they do with Matt Olson, who is now in the fold for the uh, Atlanta Braves? Does that, you know, how does that affect them in the National League East where you have some teams that are trying to make some noise of their own? I'm seeing a lot of chatter about the Philadelphia Phillies wanting to make some moves. They really were uh, heavy on Eddie Rosario from what I heard, so they lost that battle. So we'll see what the Phillies do um, to counter that. Uh, I'm seeing a lot from the Mets. Uh, I'm hearing things, you know, I've heard possibly could Freddie Freeman end up with the Washington Nationals. That would be, you know, obviously, you know, if you're a Braves fan, obviously you would not like that. If Freddie Freeman is going to go anywhere, you would not want him to go to a team within the division. I mean, I, I, you know, definitely would not want that to happen. I think, you you know, again, another team that I had heard a long time ago with Freddie Freeman, of course, the New York Yankees. And if you're a Braves fan, I seriously doubt that you would want him to go there either. You really want him to stay in Atlanta. That would be the optimal place for him to um, be in 2022. But uh, we'll see how that goes. Tampa Bay Buc- um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now we're moving on from NFL right now. We're going into Major League Baseball. The Tampa Bay Rays uh, hadn't heard a lot about them going, you know, making too big a splash right now. But we'll definitely keep an eye on them if they look to uh, continue doing their good ways, man. They'll continue their winning ways in the American League East. So yeah, man, we got we got a lot to cover. Is we get closer to and closer to the Major League Baseball season beginning as well. We're going to be right here to cover it, man. And, uh, yeah, definitely, man. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this, the 23rd episode of Ball About the South with C. Wood. My name is Kerry Wood. Just call me C. Wood for short. And I uh, definitely would love it if you subscribe to the podcast, like, uh, do all those things, uh, Make a comment if whatever platform you're listening to it on. And we're available just about everywhere you can think of. Uh, uh, obviously, Google, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We're on um, TuneIn. <laughs> we're on iHeartRadio. Just about everywhere you can think of. You should be able to find Ball About the South with C. Wood. And I just really appreciate you joining me. I hope that you will join me again next week at this time. Obviously, we're going to get deeper into the madness and we will be down to 16 teams. Hopefully, um, we'll have a lot of SEC teams still available to talk about next week and see if any of those teams can make it to the Final Four. Anyway, my name is Kerry Wood again, and I will definitely holler at you next week. Enjoy the madness.
I'll talk with you next week. Thanks.